So we come to Philippians this morning. We're going to study line by line, and we come to a section of Scripture that I think is some of the most encouraging words out of the book of Philippians. And the, the subject matter of this section of Scripture is pressing on and winning the victory that Jesus has for our lives. Anybody want that? And so that's what the subject matter is. And my prayer is this, is that you, as you listen to this, will lean into it and really understand that this word is for you. So there, I'm going to talk about six principles. And Paul gives us some really important counsel regarding how do I win? How do I win the game? How do I press on? And how do I hear the words, well done, you good and faithful servant? So with that in mind, six principles. The first one is that if you're going to win this battle, you've got to honestly evaluate where you are. You can't get better. You can't press on unless you know where you are specifically today. And so Paul writes in, in chapter three, verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained this uh, or am already perfect, but I press on to the mark and, and make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So in this section of scripture, we discover that we have, to, we have to really evaluate where we are. Not that I have arrived, that's what Paul says, but I press on, I look to that mark, and uh, I'm so grateful that God has made me his own. So the counsel here, I think, that God has given to us is you need to stop hiding where you are. You need to stop hiding. We are hiders, right? We Come on now, look at me when I say that to you. We are hiders. Everyone knows where we are. The interesting, funny thing about that is uh, the people around you and the people that know you the best know exactly where you are. They see it every day. And so when you and I try to deny where, we are, where we're at, it doesn't work in any way, shape, or form because everybody sees the truth. One day, a cowboy walked into a blacksmith shop and he picked up a horseshoe, not realizing that it had just come from the forge. And uh, so hotter than hot, picks it up and, uh, you know, probably can, you know, smell flesh burning, puts it right back down, puts his hands in his pocket. And the blacksmith said, uh, pretty hot, huh? And uh, he said, no, I just don't need a lot of time in looking at a horseshoe. Hiding, right? Hiding, that's what we do. We, we don't tell the truth to ourselves. And if we don't tell the truth to ourselves, we're never gonna be able to move forward in the process. Uh, and so, Really, the interesting thing is, is that for me to move forward, I honestly have to take a look at where I am. And Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. Now, this is the guy that wrote a good portion of the New Testament, said, I've not arrived yet. God has made me his own, and I'm looking to him. I'm marching towards him, but I'm not where I'm supposed to be yet. And he's gonna say some interesting things later on in this text, but he starts with the idea that I'm not where I am need to be. And so I'm just going to ask you to look me in the eyes for a second. And I'm going to ask you this question. Do you honestly evaluate yourself appropriately? Do you see yourself the way God sees you and not just blowing smoke at yourself? I realize that God says I'm worth his son. I realize that God says that, uh, that I'm the righteousness of God in him. I realize all that. But from a practical human standpoint, what I need to learn to do is I need to look into the mirror and evaluate where I actually am and what it is that I need to work on in my life. Do you know what your weaknesses are? 
Do you know the issues, that, how Satan trips you up? Do you know what they are? Because if you don't know what they are, you're gonna get tripped up on a regular basis. Just saying to you, honestly, you gotta evaluate where you are and nobody has arrived. The second principle that Paul gives to us is that you and I need to break free from the past. Not only do I need to evaluate where I am, but I need to realize what part of the past controls my present right now. And I guarantee you, there's parts of your past that control how you think, how you respond, how you forgive, how you love. All those things come from the past in our life. And uh, because we weren't born into a vacuum, we were born into this world and there's a lot of stuff around that we need to deal with. So Paul says in verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I, have made it my, uh, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I forget what, what is behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. So what is the excess baggage that you carry? Some of you are Chiefs fans. <laughs> I'm saying. I don't know where that came from. It just, it just slipped out, you know, because I'm, I'm neutral in this game today. I'm just going to enjoy the game, right? But this one thing I do know is that I know that there's baggage in your life and you need to look at what it is because you got to let go of it. For some people, it's the idea of shame. There's something that you've done in your past that haunts you, that troubles you, you don't think necessarily about it all the time, but every once in a while it just jumps up from nowhere and grabs you around the throat and tries to choke you out. There is shame in a lot of our lives. And that is a tool that Satan uses in our life. So for some of us, we've got to let go of the shame part of our lives. For us to move forward and embrace what God has for our lives, we need to let go of shame. For others, it's not necessarily shame. Maybe it is the idea that I can't forgive something or someone that happened to me. And uh, so I hold on to that anger, that resentment, that bitterness. And for some of you right now, there is probably a name that came to your mind that you need to forgive right now. Right in this service, you need to forgive that person. And every time that name comes up, you need to forgive them on and on and on because forgiveness is not punctiliar, meaning a moment in time. Forgiveness is a line. It is an ongoing process. It's not that I forgive, it's that I am forgiving. That's how it works. So I've got to let go of unforgiveness, embrace the grace of God. And then for some of you, it's just out and out guilt. Guilt is a little different than shame, but there just seems to be a, a sense of guilt in your life. For others, it's lost relationships. And you can't let go of that. Maybe it's a it, maybe it's somebody who has abandoned you. Or maybe it's somebody who died and you're kind of angry at the fact that they died and left you alone. Whatever it is, I don't know what your baggage is. I'm not pretending to. But I know that that kind of stuff holds on and it doesn't allow us to embrace all that God has for us in this current time. So you've got to let go of those things. Some, for some we talked about it last weekend. It's legalism. It's looking at God from a law standpoint as opposed to a grace standpoint. And there's things that you just got to let go from your past in that regard. And then for others, it is failure. There's been a major failure in your life, maybe moral, maybe, maybe just, you know, something that happened, maybe a slip up, maybe you relapsed in, uh, from drug addiction, maybe you uh, maybe you have 
whatever it is, you fill in the blank. I don't know your life, I don't know your life story, but I do know there is an, there is an enemy that all of us have. And the enemy, is, one of his primary tools is to use things against us that keep us from really serving God. And then maybe for some of you, it's that you have a hard time trusting in the, in the promises of God. That there's doubt in your life. And you gotta let go of that doubt. I'm just simply saying that doubt is a part of life. You can't have faith without doubt. But when doubt controls your life, when doubt is the one thing that keeps you from really being able to say to this mountain, be removed, as Jesus said, then you've got to put that aside and deal with those issues. So whatever it is, you've got to let go of the baggage inside of your life. That's principle number two. How are we doing so far? If I'm going to, if I'm going to, win, this, if I'm going to win this game, I've got to do those two things. And thirdly, I need to clarify for my own life what I'm here to do. In Philippians 3.14, it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what, I, what that translates to me as is that I need to press on to the goal for what God has for me. That is the, that's the purpose-driven life. I've got to understand what purpose is there, does God have for my life? And I'm just simply saying is that purpose is more than just what marriage you're in. Purpose is more than just what job you have or what church you attend. You need to discover what God's purpose is for you on this planet, what God has for you to do. God has something for you to do. He wants to unveil that to you. He wants to show you what that is. And in just a minute, I'm gonna to explain to you how you know what God's purpose is. But I'm just gonna say, uh, if you don't ever stop and take the time to do it, then you'll forever be struggling and you'll just be spinning your wheels here if you don't know God's purpose for your life because there's no greater joy at life than putting your head down in your pillow, pillow knowing that today I was a part of working out God's purpose in my life. And I'm just gonna say, listen to me very carefully. I wanna say this one more time to you. Purpose is not your job. That's not your purpose on life. That's a mechanism, a vehicle, but it is not your purpose. Purpose is not your relationships. They come and go. That's not your purpose. Purpose is far bigger than that. So you need to develop a, this is what I would say, a purpose statement that you remind yourself of every day. This is what I'm here on the planet to do. And I know by the way you're looking at me that many of you out there, mainly the Chief fans, do not understand what I'm saying right now. <laughs> Because you have never slowed your life down long enough to discover what your purpose is or you've never engaged with God long enough to really discover what your purpose is on this planet. With me on that? Shake your head at me. I'm gonna have to cover it again if you, are, if you don't, are you not with me? So will you be, would you be willing, 2024, to take some time out for the purposes of discovering what God has for you on this planet. Yes, maybe, no? Most of you are going yes, so I'm gonna, God saw that, I'm just saying. God saw that who knows all things. He saw you just go, yes, I'm going to do that. Uh, focus is the key, focus is the key. Have you ever wondered why pigeons walk so funny? I mean, maybe it's just me, I just look at things differently, but this is how they walk. It's really funny. 
head forward, stop, head back, stop. So there is this, you know, it's just this jerky motion. And there's a reason for that. The reason that they walk that way is pigeons have a really bad eyesight and they cannot focus until they bring their head to a complete stop. So they stop, you go forward, stop, go backwards, stop. And so the key in that process is, even though it looks funny to me, the key in that process is learning to stop long enough to be able to focus what's really important, to see what God sees. So what I'm saying to you is, is that for you to discover God's purpose, you've got to stop long enough in the journey, take a time out. Maybe you need to go away for a prayer retreat. Maybe you need to uh, take a time out, but you need to discover what God's purpose is for your life. I know what my purpose is, and it is not just being a pastor. It's not. I have a passion for something far deeper than that. And so uh, I'm gonna tell you how you discover your purpose right now. Here's, here we go. This is, this is the price of admission right now. Listen to this very carefully. How do I know what purpose God has for my life? It's by what wrecks you when you see it. That's how you discover God's purpose. What wrecks you when you see it? When you're driving down the street, when you're watching TV, when you're, you know, wherever you're at, whatever wrecks you is probably what God is calling you to, to have an influence. So stop long enough to really figure out what that is that wrecks you. I pray that it's somewhere in the very near future that God slows you down enough, stops you in your tracks, and shows you what wrecks you. And when you discover that, then you say, okay, God, what am I supposed to do about that? How am I supposed to be a part of the process of really engaging so that I can, so I can hear the words, well done, you good and faithful servant. And so, you in there? Come on, in there? Yes, no, maybe so? Fourth principle, you were pretty uncommitted there. Maybe I'll just show back up next week with my 49ers jersey and teach it again. I don't know. Fourth principle, if I'm gonna press towards a high mark and calling of Christ Jesus, my Lord, and finish this race well, fourth, fourth principle uh, is hold firmly to the truth. If I'm gonna finish well, I can't be all over the map in what I believe. And, uh, and Paul says in Philippians 3.16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And he's speaking, I believe here, of the idea of truth in his life, that he has discovered truth in his life. And so I'm just gonna say a couple of wrong turns and you find, some, find yourself sometimes upside down, right? That's how life kind of works itself out. A couple wrong turns and you find yourself all messed up. And so you've gotta go back, you have to have an anchor. And so what is the anchor for the life of the believer? The, 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 the anchor for the life of the believer isn't reading verses from the Bible. It is taking the truth of the Bible and anchoring yourself to that truth. That's the anchor in your life. That's, what, that's your center. That's what brings you back to what is right. And there's a really kind of funny story in an NCAA cross-country championship race uh, 123 of the 128 runners missed the turn. And this is what's funny. Here's the funny thing. 
Mike Devaco tried to wave the other runners down to follow him because he knew what turn to make. This was a cross-country race. He knew what turn to make, and they all ignored, ignored him. So 123 racers ended up in the wrong place because of one wrong turn, because they, they followed the crowd. That's what happened. You know, there's a, there's a contagious spirit when you're following the crowd. And uh, when you're following the crowd, oftentimes they will lead you in the wrong place. So you've got to have an anchor to your soul. You've got to have a true center. And I believe that is the person of Jesus and his words that he has given to us. The person of Jesus and his word. That's the anchor of our soul. And... Uh, if you're going to stay on track, you have to ignore what people are shouting at you. You have to ignore the crowds and you have to just get to that place in your life where you say, my anchor is Jesus. I'm following him. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed to be called God's son. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to anchor myself to that truth and hold firmly to that no matter what happens in my life. Number five in our text today is Evaluate who you're following. Evaluate who you're following because sometimes we get led astray by following the wrong person. And we are people that are subject to that. So let me just show you what I mean by that. In Philippians 3.17, Paul says, brothers. First of all, remember that Paul has already said, he's already said this in an earlier section of scripture that we read. He said, I have not obtained yet. I'm a sojourner, I'm a, I'm a tent camper here. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still pressing on to the mark and high calling of Jesus Christ. So I'm not arrived. But then he says this audacious statement. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. That's kind of, it seems contradictory, right? I'm not there yet, but come and follow me anyway. That's what Paul is saying. So you have to determine who you're going to follow. And Paul was confident enough in the divine power of the Holy Spirit that he knew even though he hadn't arrived, he knew where he was going. He knew the destination. He knew how to get there. He knew the reasons to get there. That's why he says, follow me. He says, join me in, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are some people you might be following that are actually disguised and they are actually enemies of the cross. Who are you following? Because we all have role models. We all have people we look up to. We all have people that we probably say, I'd like to be like that when I grow up, right? So make sure, you're, make sure your models are the right kind of models and... Uh, and know that there are enemies out there and there are people that are bent on your destruction and they're disguised and the scripture tells us very clearly that we have an enemy in the evil one, but we also have, he has planted people in our life. He's planted, listen to me very carefully, people in this church. Pull you off, off track. That's a sobering fact, right? Where, if you were the evil one, where would you plant the deceivers? Not where you, they wouldn't be influencers. They would, you would be, they, he would plant them right in the midst of his people. And Paul is saying, 
Paul is saying, be, be very careful. I tell you, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And you can normally see these people by what they grab onto and where they're leading and what they're consuming. Those are the kinds of people that he, he warns us against. And uh, he says, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So I find it fascinating, the culture that we live in. I love pastoring in this time, in this place. I'm glad I don't live in the first century. I'm glad I live in the, you know, the 21st century and I'm, I have electricity and running water and I don't live in a third world country. I'm, I'm glad for all those things. I am very helpful, it's very helpful. But in the midst of this culture right now, uh, there are th some things that are very distracting to us finishing the race. Distractions. So let's talk about what they might be. I have a, an author that I love. His name is Donald Miller. And he wrote a book that was life-altering for me. It's called Blue Like Jazz. And he, read it, he, he wrote this several years ago, probably 20 years ago. And uh, in this book, he writes something very fascinating. He says, I was wondering the other day, why is, that, why is it that we turn pop figures into idols? Okay, so, or, or let me just say this honestly. Why do we take football players and make them more than they are or pop singers. I mean, our, our culture is filled with people that are being idolized and uh, there are people that can't even walk across the street because people will mob them because of their notoriety. And Christians aren't exempt from being idolatrous in that area. So he writes and he says, I have a theory, he's, you know, he's pondering, why is it that we grab onto people and we make them idols? Why do, we, why do we set them up on this pedestal and then wonder when they fall, because they all will fall, why they did? So this is what his conclusion was, and I think I, can, I, think I agree with him, so see if you agree. He says, I think we have this special need to be cool. I think we have this special need to identify with somebody who is cool. And we do this all the time, we name drop. When we name drop, we don't name drop people that are on the streets, right? We don't, we don't go around and say, hey, I've got, you know who my friend is? My friend is, you know, his name is Bill and he lives on 4th Street. That rarely happens, does it? Hello out there. You think, you'd think I'm, am I teaching heresy or are you just all looking at me this strange? <laughs> Are you going to sit like this in the Super Bowl or are you going to cheer? I don't know. So he, he, says, uh, he says, I think we have this need to identify because we associate ourselves with people uh, and when we do that, it validates our lowly life. Interesting, isn't it, to think about? I recently watched the Grammys and uh, was reminded once again of the pedestal that pop stars are put on and uh, it's very, very fascinating. I just want you to know my goal in the Super Bowl, you know, win or lose, I don't know what's going to happen. But my goal is that there's one particular pop star that's going to be an intense that game. I just want her to cry at the end of the game. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was accused by one of our elders of being dark in this regard. And so I admit, I have not arrived yet. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. I'm probably not the right model in that area of your life, but I'm just saying, you know, I, I'm just saying it would be joyous to me if that happened. 
I don't know. Whoa, did I really say that? Did we go there? <laughs> it's party time, right? It's party time. I'm just telling you the Bible and then adding a few things along the way that may not be true. <laughs> but at least I admit that, right? At least I admit that. So be careful who you're following because they might lead you to the wrong place. What I find fascinating is that I, this summer I watched this um, documentary called Quarterbacks. And you know that I'm a football fan, so I didn't have anything to do. So I watched this documentary called Quarterbacks and it highlighted two quarterbacks. One of them is playing in the, the Super Bowl today and the other one is not. His name is Kirk Cousins. And, uh, and this guy, Kirk Cousins, I'm not gonna talk about the other guy. I'm just gonna talk about Kirk. Because he prays with his kids every night. He walks humbly and understands his success comes from God. And, re and, and he puts his money where his mouth is in terms of the foundations that he and his wife have created. I wanna follow that guy. I want to, I, I root for him. I, I've never been a Minnesota Vikings fan, but I'm a Kirk Cousins fan because of who he is and how he conducts himself off the field, which is the most important place that you can be, off the field. That's where you, true character comes out. With me so far? Be careful who you're following. Be careful who you're idolizing because they might shipwreck your life if you follow them too far or put too much stock in who they are. Sixth principle, are we having fun yet? All right, good. That's what my goal was today, is just to have a little fun. Sixth principle is focus on the outcome. If I'm gonna win, I wanna focus on the outcome. We sang a song that intimated that, what, see what God sees. Sometimes we see you know, the cross and Jesus sees the resurrection. So focus on the outcome as opposed to the obstacle in front of you. Philippians 3.20 says, and this is the ultimate focus of the Christian life, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior. You waiting for that savior? The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He has the power out of his spoken word to subject all things to himself. This world spins at his command. My life is subject to him. And uh, so I, there's so much in this verse that we could just spend the next couple hours talking about this verse, but I won't. Um, I want to talk to you about focusing on the outcome for just a minute. So there's an Australian film. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called The Rabbit Proof Fence. And uh, most people haven't seen it. I think you should Google it and watch it because it is inspiring. It's an inspiring true story of... Uh, some Aboriginal girls who were taken from their home in along Western Australia. This happened in 1931, and they documented this. They did a film about this experience. They were called half-castes because they had white fathers uh, and Aboriginal uh, mothers. And so what they would do with these girls is that they would, these half-castes, is they would take them out of their home, take them away to something like a prison camp, they called them homes, but they were there against their will. And their purpose was to marry them off eventually to white males. And then they would have offspring 
And so their purpose was racial cleansing. It was an, it was an awful form of racism in that culture in that time, but that was the purpose. That's, you know, that's what the film documents is their purpose was to get rid of a certain race. So that's how they do it. There are three girls that this story highlights itself on. And one of the girl, two of the girls were sisters, one was a cousin. So they were taken 1,200 miles from their home, ripped out of their home, taken 1,200 miles away from home. And uh, eventually they escaped, these three girls. One was captured and taken back. The other two wasn't. And the way they got back home is that there was this rabbit fence to keep the rabbits out. And so it was the longest fence in the world. And uh, they walked 1,200 miles in, you know, months and months and months that it took them to walk that. And uh, they, they made it home. And one of the girls, one of the sisters, was eventually captured and taken back there. And uh, this time she was a grown woman and uh, she had children. So they took her and her children and took her away from her home. And so she walked another, she escaped again and walked another 1,200 miles in the deep heat of the desert with a child in her arms to get home because there is no place like home. There is no place like home. And in her heart, in her soul, she was determined that that was her goal, to be home. And the movie ends with the two sisters, now old women, vowing never again to leave home. And the truth is, is we'll do almost anything suffer almost any hardship, suffer almost any loss to be home, right? Do you agree with that? Home is extremely important for us. So I want you to see the end of this clip uh, of this film, The Rabbit Fence. Just a short clip, and then I'm gonna come back and just say a couple more comments, and then we're gonna go watch the Super Bowl. How's that? Okay, so watch this. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that moment of embrace between these girls and their grandmother and their mother? What a moment that was, right? 
What a moment that was. But here's the reality for you and I. I showed you that for this one reason, is that we have only temporary homes in this life. The text says we look to the Savior, the one who comes from heaven. That's our true home. And we'll do almost anything to get home. But what the question is, is that have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten that this life offers suffering and anguish and loss in the end for everybody? And that there's only one true home and that's in the presence of Jesus. Can you imagine that moment when we run to the Father, when we run into the, to the embrace of Jesus, when we, we run to the one who is going to ultimately bring us home permanently? That's our home. Our home is not here. It's not here. This is, we're just tent campers here. That's all we are. We're just tent campers. We're tent campers. Nothing more. If you're a believer, your eternity, your, where you're gonna spend for your ever, where, where that is, is not in this life, it's in heaven. And I wonder if we long for that the way we should. I wonder if that is um, really the desire of our heart that we would do anything, anything, suffer any, any amount of loss in this life for that. That's what the, the scripture calls us to. You wanna win the race? You wanna finish well? You've gotta realize that that is where we belong and that's what, we're, that's what we're striving for. That's what we're struggling for. That's why we endure the things we endure. That is the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal. And so when one of our friends here at Grace Church passes from this life to the next, I'm telling you, listen carefully. That is a celebration. That's home, not here. And I've often said, I've often said this at funerals to people, to their families. I look them in the eye and I say this thing. I said, if so-and-so, having experienced one second of heaven, had the choice to come back here, they would never come back here. They might like you a lot, but they would never come back here because of what's there. And if you had one iota of understanding of what's there, it would change your forever. It would change how you live your life now, right now in this present moment. Knowing that is the game changer. Knowing that is what causes us to be able to endure whatever needs to be endured. Six principles, book of Philippians, finishing well. My prayer for you is that at the end of the race, as Jesus embraces you, you will hear, well done, because you figured your purpose out, you chose the right models, you looked to the right place for your, for your home, and I'm just saying to you, that is the power of God. That's what causes people to finish the race well. So let's pray together. And, uh, and then I'm gonna say just a couple more things and, and then we're going to root for the right team this afternoon. Lord God, thank you for this day. 
And my prayer is that we didn't get lost in the moment in this service, God, that we see how, what Paul meant that when he talks about pressing to the mark and the high calling of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord God, thank you for this day. And may we not forget it. May we not just get caught up in the day and forget what we learned about finishing well in this kingdom, in this life. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and amazing name. Amen.